Any comments? Yes. sounds to me like you're asking, how is it that a Buddha can dwell in nirvana even while the Buddha is functioning in the marketplace and in the world? <laughs> at a mental level. At a, at a mental mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, and the answer to that is that a Buddha doesn't need to carry out the same kind of functions that someone else does in consciousness. Um, Traditionally, the way that's put is a Buddha doesn't need to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Buddha doesn't need to decide what to do because, um, you know, and and, uh, right now we're in the realm of Theology. <laughs> okay. But um, the Buddha has perfected his insight such has perfected his insight such that uh, he acts automatically in just the right way. Now, most of your daily behavior is automatic. Only a relatively small proportion of it requires you to actually think and decide what you're going to do. But in between those periods where you do have to think and decide, there's a lot of automatic behavior. And that goes really well, uh, provided that the the unconscious parts of your mind that are responsible for initiating that behavior uh, are are functioning on, on an appropriate basis. They produce the right responses. So Buddha is somebody who um, has perfected his insight to such a degree that no matter what comes up, he says and does the right thing and doesn't need to think about it. 
a theological view of a Buddha. Um, and so in that case, there never needs to be, consciousness never needs to be occupied by formations that are being projected into it. I guess I wasn't really thinking of a Buddha, but just... Yeah. <laughs> well, the way you phrased it, the way you phrased it, you know, uh, the only situation that I could think of that that would apply to. Yeah. You know. Um, like for an ordinary person, as your, as your insight develops, mm-hmm. it, it changes you. It changes the way that you uh, respond to things. And uh, it, therefore, it, it, you you once again don't have so much to deal with. For example, if we just just simply as you as you come to have insight, just the most elemental insight into the fact that uh, everything that arises in the mind is either sensation or mental object. The effect that that has on you is that you stop reacting to the mental objects that arise in consciousness in the same way. It's much easier to let them come and go. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, if if you're not reacting as strongly to uh, thoughts and emotions that arise in the course of your day, you have a whole lot less to deal with in consciousness anyway. So you can think that that is a kind of a um, beginning version of the same thing that I'm talking about. As you start to develop, this is you might ask the question: How do you know when you have developed insight? Because insight changes the way you view things, and it changes the way you respond to things. When you've developed insight to impermanence, how do you think that is going to change the way you view things and respond to things? You're not going to be so attached to anything. Mm-hmm. The more the more you understand impermanence, the more unattached you are. Somebody scratches your new car, it's bound to happen sooner or later. <laughs> no need to get upset. Yeah. You, you lose this, that happens, whatever. You know, uh, you leave home with in mind that this is what's going to happen and this is what you're going to do and you have a wonderful time and then Something else happens, and all of a sudden you're going in a totally different direction. Does you don't mind? Everything changes anyway. It changes the way you view things and the way you respond to it. And one of the effects of that is you have a whole lot less to deal with. So fewer mental formations. When when something happens and you resist it and you get upset about it and everything else. Your mind is flooded with all. Your mind generates huge amounts of mental formations. They flood your mind. Uh, there's all this turmoil and struggle that takes place uh, as you as you try to deal with it. But these even even the simplest insights reduce the amount of that that's taking place in your mind. You, when you before insight into nama and rupa. Something happened, and you might have been upset for days. After Nama and Rupa, it might bother you for a couple of hours, and then it's like, just another, 
you know, it, there is not the same, it's more impersonal too. There's not the, you know, I feel this way and I have to do something about it and this blah blah blah, all this stuff about self. It's something that arises. You have more and more of the experience of, ah, such and such arising. Ah, oh, this is not much fun. Such and such is passing away. That's better. <laughs> and not that it won't still last long enough to give you a rough ride, but it won't be anything near like it was before. And the deeper the insight goes, the less you're going to react to it. Um, when, you're, when you're talking about mental formations coming and going, that's the thing I noticed during the meditation. This constant flow of yes. well, first there's the commenter. Early on, there's the commenter who was commenting on everything that yeah. happened, and then, then at the toward the end, there was this visual thing that came up along with the with the sensation yeah. of the breath. Um, but it, there was this constant kind of panoply of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's a wonderful thing to see. That's, a, that's, that's, that's what you want to be able to see, that there's this constant stream. Now, did you see any gaps in the stream? Or was it like one, well, one followed the other so close that there wasn't any space in between? Toward the end, it felt like there was, this, there was a transition where uh, kind of a settling to the bottom of the bowl happened. Mm -hmm. Where it wasn't this this stuff. It wasn't so much sloshing, yeah. and things kind of okay. Yeah. Okay. What I what I was wondering is there's this constant stream of mental formations of one kind or another arising, right? And at first it appears that one follows the other so quickly that there's just no gap in between. Yeah, I I, I don't think I was able to notice any gaps. Right. Okay, and that would be normal. But as you go along, you will. And when you, you see, that's the only way. That's when we talk about the arising and passing away. Your mind gets fast enough that you can. When there's no, when there's no gaps, it's like the beginning and the end seem to overlap. But when your mind gets fast enough, you realize that in fact there is there is a passing away before the next arising. So, uh, and two things happen to make that possible. One is your mind speeds up so it can see more clearly. But the other is that, that although there was always a gap, it opens up because as your mind settles, there's not quite the same rush of, of uh, things coming one night after another. And so the gaps get longer and easier to observe. But you're absolutely right. One formation after another. And your whole life's been like that. An analogy, <laughs> an analogy is we are trapped in this world of our minds making like a monkey swinging through the trees. And the monkey grabs a branch and then he lets go of this branch and reaches out to grab the next one. And then he doesn't let go of this one until he's grabbed the next one. So he always stays in the trees. And that's your mind, one formation after another is being grasped at. And it, it's keeping you, uh, keeping you in the in, in the world of your mind's own making. Okay. Um, I'm going back to 
you know, so. Uh, yeah. I just, um, if I know so, and um, we all want, and we're all connected. Mm -hmm. And so I have more compassion, understanding, trying to develop this quality uh, towards others. Um, but when it goes to the uh, wars and terrorism and, and uh, all kind of crime around us and injustice, where I am there? Should I kind of like Jesus said, I, I give you another chip? And I'm not will perceive justice or see justice or uh, punishment for people who doing harm to others. Where Buddha standing there? How how to react to these things? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to stay on meditation and your experiences in meditation. And so what I'll do is I'm going to come back to. Uh, what I'd like you to be trying to notice in meditation. But Jesus gave good advice. Turn the other cheek rather than punching the other guy. Buddha said you have to decide for yourself but there are certain principles that you can follow and if you follow those principles you would eventually come to the place where you'd be able to turn the other cheek. So and in the end, the Buddha and Jesus were saying the same thing, except Buddha, Buddha said it as something that you practice until you get to that place where you can do it. Jesus just said, do it. That's about the only difference. Okay. But there are far better ways of dealing with situations than those that enhance your own view of separateness and you can deal with them through loving kindness and compassion but there are some there before you get to the place where you have the skill and the ability to do that you may need to take more conventional means but let's go to no self as as an insight practice in your meditation what you want to notice is those periods of time, the insight experience that will give you insight into no-self, are those periods of time when you notice there isn't, a, there isn't a self, there isn't an observer, there isn't a watcher as a part of the experience. That there's just the experience taking place. The more of those you have, and the more completely aware of, I mean, they're happening Ever since you began meditating, they're happening to you during... I mean, you never watched a movie and got so lost in it that you've totally forgotten yourself. And it happens to us all the time. We think about a thought. We're so lost in the thinking, but there is no thinker. The thought is just unfolding. And any time that happens, but it, a meditation is just a wonderful place for that, to just be aware that, aha, here's an interval where there is consciousness, but there is no person. It's an impersonal experience of being conscious of something. The more of those experiences that you have and you are aware of and you hold in your awareness, then you 
the, the more of this insight that you're going to have that that of the basically the insight is that is that uh, the personality view that I'm used to carrying around isn't necessary. I thought it was absolutely necessary. It had to be there every instant. But it's not. It's just something that can sometimes be there and lots of times isn't. And like I say, it's not a new experience. But you've just never you've never regarded it in the right way for it to settle in and become a strong insight into the impersonality of consciousness. And that's if you do that, then you don't need to spend too much time worrying about these other kinds of questions. You don't need, you know, it can be a real struggle to try to understand what no self or no separation means, or what it means that, that at my core and at your core we're both the same. You can, if you want to, entertain yourself by thinking about those things. There's a danger that well, you will decide you understand it in a way that blocks you from actually seeing the truth. But the point is, it's not necessary to. Do it to the degree that it helps you, inspires you, to, that it encourages you, that it gives you some guidance into what to look for in your experience, what, how to see the cracks that let the light through. But you don't need to try to figure it out at all. When you have, when you have insight into these things, you're going to know without having to think about it. And that's the important thing. And then you'll end up trying to explain it to somebody else. <laughs> I, I am not sure if this is an insight or what, but ever since you used the terms depth and breadth in reference to the things that we've been discussing, mm -hmm. I I I kind of I kind of wanted to to know a little more about that, so I kind of just sat with that and saw what would unfold, and and a whole flurry of things that I've been on the edge of just kind of concatenated at once. The the willingness to to quit being so oh if I'm not following my breath I'm distracted and condemning myself for that. So I let go of the condemnation of that, and I fell into saying, oh, cut through it. Let's just pretend you've got stability of attention. Let's go to see where that goes. And, and it stayed there for me, just like as if it, just as if I believed myself. And, um, and then I saw that, yeah, there were things coming and going, but I thought I was falling into dullness. That's another thing that I have concern about. I'm, I'm not following my breath. I'm following dullness. I'm still in kindergarten. And all of a sudden, that opened out into, no, there's breadth and depth. And it's not dullness when you find depth. And then it, it, I, I kind of did this float up and down, I'd come back to the room in my awareness and then fall down and follow this sense of watching what's unfolding and then come right back up and it was, it was surfing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, it wasn't dull to be deep. I had been afraid for so long that any time I am deepening my meditation, 
that's not really deepening, that's just dullness, and um, I'm going to power nap now. <laughs> and uh, this was the first time that I trusted my stability enough to believe that I could have depth and breadth. I don't know where depth and breadth is going yet, but I got some. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Okay. I just if it's if it's dullness and I'm faking it and I'm fooling myself, you should you should mention that now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I all I can do is tell you how to tell if it's dullness, but you're the only one that can tell, and that's that if your mind loses clarity and brightness. Oh. Okay. Well, that didn't happen today. So. <laughs> And, you know, we live in a, in a state of partial dullness, and so the degree of clarity and brightness uh, is not going to be the same tomorrow as, as it was today. That doesn't mean you're, you know, if it's less tomorrow, you may have started out with less. <laughs> it's, it, but if, it, if, if you start losing that clarity and brightness, then you're slipping into dullness, and it's that simple. And if you can recollect having been clearer and brighter at some time in the past and recover that, then what you're doing is you're increasing, you're, you're, you're increasing the power of your mindfulness. You're pulling yourself even further out of dullness than... Between which and which? Stuff and stuff, between thoughts and thoughts. Oh, yes. That period is when you go back to what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah. So when you go back, to the, the gaps that I was talking about earlier would come between two thoughts or even between uh, two different sensations that are making up the breath. Okay. Um, but uh, what, what you're talking about is uh, that's the best kind of gaps when you've, you've uh, returned to the breath from a thought and, and then you, you're staying with the breath before the attention gets captured and pulled away by something else again. What you would like to do is, let's start from the point that you, you let go of the thought, you bring your focus back to the breath and you're on the breath. What you would like to do is become aware of the approach of the thought before it can capture you. So that in that instant you refocus on the breath and so the thought just evaporates without ever, without ever affecting you. And so that way you've made the gap much longer. And if you get very skilled at doing that, then your attention becomes very stable. If you do that for a while, then your attention by itself starts, it, it's, it has much less tendency to be drawn away by a thought. And not only that, if you've done this repeatedly, on those occasions when a thought starts to come, your mind will automatically refocus. So that it becomes more and more automatic and easier to do. So, yes. I'm not sure how to phrase this question. You were just talking about the, in the depth and breadth 
the relationship between death and wellness. Can you say more about the relationship between breath and mind wandering? And I think this too, in terms of um, what we were talking about a minute ago, um, with the mind being lost in thought and that same sense of losing the objectivity and just being in the, in the presence. I don't know how to put all these different pieces together. Okay. Is, that, is there a question in there? <laughs> well, there's an opportunity for me to explain something. Uh, when I was using the terms breadth and depth earlier, I was using them in a slightly different way. Uh, not slightly, quite a different way than I think uh, Chris was just now. But uh, obviously using those terms had, had the impact of getting her a way of looking at things that helped her to understand and do something more effectively. So just to explain the difference, I, I was speaking of breath in terms of the unconscious mind and the spreading of an insight. So this is the unconscious mind and you have an insight here. It can spread laterally and it can spread vertically down. So that's what I was referring to. Uh, we use the term depth in terms of meditation, and that's because you know it's it's a metaphor. Um, the the surface of the lake can be all choppy and wavy, and maybe currents and debris floating around and things like that. But the deeper you go the stiller it becomes and the clearer it becomes and everything else. You know. And so depth in meditation is like going to a place where there's less less disturbance, there's less clutter floating around and, and things like that. Um, greater clarity. And that's really what, you know, uh, talking about dullness. Dullness is cloudiness. Corresponds to cloudiness in our water metaphor. And clarity is what we want. That's the opposite of all this. Yes? I was thinking, what about breath then? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure uh, what, in the way you were using the term breath, what, how would you attribute it? I'm, I'm asking oh, Chris. Um, Chris, I, I had a sliver of Chris between you. <laughs> I think you had it right. I, I was uh, abusing the term because I got inspired by it. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate that you mention now again to reiterate your in your meaning of depth and breadth in this case is particularly to the propagation of an insight yeah. across across sub channels. And um, and so I'm actually going to take both of those now. Okay. Well good. Well, I'm gonna take yours and what I would refer to as the breadth would be the awareness component. Because when you're focused on the sensations of the breath, you want to have this larger awareness. And how broad that larger awareness is can vary quite a bit. You can be focused on the breath at the tip of the nose, just barely aware of a few things. Or it can be a much broader and more inclusive awareness. And how broad and how inclusive it is is one of the ways that, that an increased power of uh, mindfulness can be manifested. Um, 
in terms of what I call extra perspective awareness, which is awareness of the world around you, there's a limit to how far that can go. There's only so much that you can hear and so much that you can feel. So, uh, but your peripheral awareness is about as broad as it can be when it's, it's including all of that, right? Uh, if we think of introspective awareness in your mind, uh, the more powerful your introspective awareness becomes, the more it's able to encompass. So introspectively you have a much greater potential for breadth than you do extrospectively. Your sense organs, these sense organs, you know, are limited and you'll soon reach the limitation of them. The mind sense uh, has a lot more scope to it. When we're talking about breath, most of the time, pretty much all the time, I even forgot I'm breathing. I mean, I'm I'm just going it, and then I realize, oh, breath, oh, and then I start artificial breathing, kind of higher. What are you paying attention to when you forgot about the breath? I just go from thought to thought, and I yeah, that's right. that's that's called mind wandering, and when you mind. What happens is you forget the breath, and you usually forget the breath because your mind has been, your, your attention has been caught by something else. So, when once you forget the breath, when your mind finishes with that thought, then it goes to another one, and to another one, and another one, and that's mind wandering. And so what you want to do is when, as soon as you realize you're mind wandering, you'd you be really glad that you recognize that. Don't feel badly that your mind was wandering. So you appreciate the fact that, ah, here I am, I'm now alert, I'm aware, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm supposed to do, and then you gently bring your attention back to the breath again, for as long as possible. How can you tell the difference between awareness and just attention moving quickly? Well, it takes practice, but actually, attention moving quickly is part of how you develop awareness. Now, Yeah, it, it's, you can pretty easily, and I'm sure you already have, and anybody can pretty easily learn the basic distinction between awareness and the focus of attention. But your question is, even when you know the difference, how can you be sure that something, that you know something through awareness rather than through swiftly alternating attention? And that takes, that takes practice. Um, the, the thing is that if it's due to alternating attention, then it is going to be exerting a continuous pull on your attention. So it's going to tend to start standing more and more out from the background. And if you refocus on the breath, then it will move back into the background and stay there. And at that point you know, okay, that's how it appears when I know it through awareness. And then when it starts to emerge from the background more, that's how it appears when there's alternating attention. So that's that's what I call a subtle distraction. When it begins to come out of the background, it can, it's coming out because of these quick movements of attention, almost imperceptible movements. And that makes it a subtle distraction. But as a subtle distraction, it keeps exerting this pull for more and more and more attention. And if you don't interrupt it, it's, it will 
well, it'll be either be replaced by some other subtle distraction, or it will become strong enough it becomes a gross distraction, displaces your attention on the breath. So that's how, it's just you observe it carefully, you refocus your attention on the breath and see what happens to it. And if it doesn't, you know, if, uh, if it doesn't change, then you're knowing it through awareness. To the, to the degree that it does change, there was some degree of alternating attention that was making it uh, more apparent than everything else. But the important thing is that if you're trying to cultivate awareness, you have that intention, attention is going to automatically go to the things that you want to cultivate awareness of. So if you're beginning your practice and you want to strengthen your peripheral awareness of body sensations and sounds, automatically, without you causing it and without you being able to stop it, your attention is going to briefly go to sounds and body sensations. But what this is doing is it's informing peripheral awareness that this is something that you want to be aware of. And as it becomes more in, in awareness, there's less need for attention to reinforce that by going to it. The same thing when you switch to wanting to be introspectively aware of the state and activity of your mind. When you initially start doing that, it's actually your attention that's going to be checking in on your mental state and on the activity of your mind and coming back with a little snapshot of the activity. But by doing that, peripheral awareness is going to learn, oh, what we want to hold in awareness is the state and activity of the mind. So after all, it becomes unnecessary for attention to do that. So I'm telling you both that, that it's good to be able to, to do, as I said earlier, and to be able to distinguish when something is uh, truly present in awareness and where it is is standing out due to alternating attention. But it's also ne not necessary to think of that as something that is bad or a problem. Go ahead and let that happen and let it strengthen your peripheral awareness. Because awareness, whenever something receives attention, when, you know, this is true in ordinary life. If you get interested in motorcycles, uh, you will start paying attention to motorcycles and what will happen is your peripheral awareness will tune into that, and after a while you'll pick up on any motorcycle within a quarter of a mile. You know. Happens to teenagers with girls, too. <laughs> I guess it happens to teenage girls with boys. Can't tell from experience, but... but so, whatever attention does, that's what awareness is going to do in turn. So, it's not necessarily bad. So if you're going to go focus on the insight process at a deeper level, and you go looking for these little sub-channels communicating in um, a hope to see insights in process at an earlier and earlier state, are you attending or 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 is that, is that attention or awareness that watches the the the, the small sub channels? Well, initially, <coughs> initially, it's 
its attention and later on it becomes more aware. As I say, all kinds of things are coming into your awareness from the unconscious mind all the time, some of which are insight. Um, so long as you don't attach any importance to them, uh, they'll be there only very briefly and infrequently. But as you start attaching importance to them, and this is signaled by the fact that, that attention is, it has, is, is interested in taking those objects, then they're going to remain, there are going to be more of them in awareness and they're going to remain there longer. You see, each individual object of consciousness that enters awareness, enters awareness from one particular sub-mind of your unconscious mind. If it is greeted with total disregard and ignorance, ignorance, ignoringness, <laughs> then that and similar things, that, that particular sub-mind is going to be less likely to project that thing and similar things into peripheral awareness in the future. On the other hand, the greed, the more interest it receives from other parts of your mind, then the more eager that sub-mind is going to be to deliver it into awareness uh, next time. Some, next time it comes up, or the opportunity, or something similar comes up. See what I'm saying? Absolutely. Okay, so that's, that's what is happening is that the collective of different parts of your mind are determining what's important and what's not. And so the more parts of your mind are interested in something, then the longer it stays in awareness and the more likely it is to appear in awareness again in the future. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's very similar to what happens in a group interaction. Somebody has something to say, and if everybody ignores them, they shut up after a while. <laughs> Sometimes, anyway. Yeah, in fact, that's exactly what I was sitting here modeling as you were yeah. talking. Yeah. You use, you use attention almost like intention. When you, when you have the intention to sit, for example, to watch your breath, you pay attention to the breath, the awareness starts. So this is almost identical then, right? When you have the intention first, yeah. and then you pay attention to whatever the intention is. Is that, is that sim a synonym at that time? You know, they're not synonyms, but, they're, but mm. they, are kind of, they come together. You see, each moment of consciousness includes both an object of consciousness and an intention. And sometimes it may be an intention to do something, but often it's just the intention that that object will become an object of attention. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's a self-perpetuating process. If you pay, if, if something arrives in peripheral awareness with the intention that it will become be attended to, if it is attended to, then then now in the next moment it arrives in attention with an even stronger intention. Mm -hmm. And so, the intention that comes with each object reinforces it increases the likelihood that that object is going to come up again. So they're, very, they're, they're not the same thing, but they, they're happening together and they're reinforcing each other. So if we start out with the intention to, to pay attention to things that come out of the subconscious that are insights, yeah. 
and to ignore things that come out of the subconscious that are distractions. Yes. We might not have to make this this deliberate conscious distinction between those things because mm -hmm. you know I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how how our mind can distinguish between distractions and insights without our taking the time to figure it out while we're while we're meditating. Well, initially that's going to happen. I mean you. You have to decide when when some when something comes up in your mind. You have to decide: is this an insight, or or is this a distraction? Okay. Right? And and you will. And it, it'll be most of the time. It'll be pretty easy. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and what what happens as a result of that decision is that there's going to be more insights and fewer distractions. Mm -hmm. But not always. I mean, there's some part of your mind that wants the distractions. <laughs> you know, uh, so, uh, it depends on where you are in the training of your mind. If you have trained your mind to the point where there's relatively few distractions anyway, and you've probably gotten there by pretty much intentionally ignoring everything that comes up. You say, I'm here to focus on my breath, and I want to become single-pointed, and so anything that comes up, I'm just going to ignore it. And you do that, and you get to the point where not very much comes up. But now you're in a position where if an insight comes up and you recognize it, you you know, then you can entertain the insight and, and that will make the insight stronger. And that's what you want to do. But you kind of have to get past the point where there's a lot of distractions first. Kind of that's in in stage six of sanata, you develop a, a single-pointedness and you do it by ignoring ignoring anything other than the meditation object. So what that does is that that trains all these different parts of your mind that otherwise have something that they want to project into consciousness and something they want to pay attention to. When they get ignored enough, they say, ah, enough, forget it, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> and so you end up having a mind that's pretty still and calm and clear. Your single your attention is a single pointedly focused. And your awareness might have sensations coming and going, you know, background sensations and things like that. But there won't be a lot of thoughts. It'll be almost thought free. And that's a really great place that you want to get to. So when you once you've reached that point, you're really ready for insight. Because now when insights arise they're arriving on an empty stage, not just one more arrival in the middle of the crowd. Mm -hmm. right? And so, so that it, it, it's important to go through that process of uh, ignoring all this mental stuff that's coming up because most of it's garbage anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There are there are still insights that come, but they come during the nor course of normal. The non-meditative. A really good insight. A good, really good insight will arrive with enough of its own energy, and will, once it's arrived, it will attract enough energy and support from other parts of your mind that it's it's likely to stand out. So you're not going to miss any really good insights this way.
But, uh, you know, you can't tell the difference between an, in an insight and a thought until you know what you're looking for. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to, that's the picture we're trying to make clear here mm -hmm. today is, is knowing what you're looking for.